Hello, and welcome to our bottom line views about news. I'm Eddie. And I'm Matthew. And today's podcast will be about the 2023 Alberta election. The choice in this election couldn't be clearer. There's two very different paths our, our province could embark upon. It's the choice between a UCP government that will cut your taxes and make your life more affordable, or the NDP that would make you pay more across the board from taxes to fuel to groceries and beyond. Albertans have an opportunity to choose uh, strong leadership. They have an uh, opportunity to choose a capable, reasonable, stable government. So uh, let's talk about this interesting race. Uh, there's technically three parties in it. The uh, United Conservative Party, led by Daniel Smith. There's also the NDP, former Premier Rachel Notley's leading it. And uh, there's also the Alberta Party, which is the centrist party that is not polling well at all, and we don't expect them to win any seats. So for the purpose of this talk, we're going to focus on the two parties in contest. Yes. And for our American viewers, the great thing about this election is that the Alberta election is the most similar to the American election because the NDP are like the Democrats, the, the, uh, the Conservatives are like the Republicans, and the Alberta Party are the Libertarians who have no chance of winning. Um, yeah, so it's a binary election. It's unlike any Alberta election, I would say. Um, just in 2019, basically the two Conservative parties combined into the UCP, under the rule of Jason Kenney, who had to step down last uh, year, okay, uh, after the uh, dismal 51% result of uh, conservatives having uh, confidence in him as leader. Uh, and then they elected uh, Daniel Smith as their leader. Okay. The former head of the Wild Rose Party, which is one of the conservative parties that made up the modern United Conservative Party. Yeah. But what was interesting about the Wild Rose Party is that they were very bizarre for Quebec Canadian standards. For example, they were one of the parties pushing uh, end to equalization payments, as well as an end, uh, basically, Alberta being able to move towards independence, which was a very bizarre strategy for them to take. Well, she also was a broadcaster, too, in the past, Daniel Smith. Now, uh, let's start talking about the campaign messaging on both camp camps, okay? Uh, so here are some of the clips with regards to mistakes, or as we call them in politics, gaffes, that Danielle Smith has made. Here's her response regarding her refusal to wear a poppy. I noticed you're not wearing a poppy, I'm not wearing a poppy, but they ruined it for me this year. So here's a comment she made by comparing the response to Adolf Hitler's. It starts with Hitler. So many people say that they would not have succumbed to the charms of a tyrant, somebody telling them that they have all the answers. And that's the test here, is we've seen it. We have 75% of the public who say, not only hit me, but hit me harder. Here's what she said about the police, in fact, being arrested. I have to wonder whether or not some of those officers are the ones who broke the, the, uh, the law in doing so. And here is what she said about the military during emergencies. They said that medical doctors should never be in charge of an emergency again, and I completely agree with them. So let's begin this conversation by talking about the message of both parties. Um, and I would say the UCP really started off at a severe disadvantage because they're always going to have to 
while they've always been trying to justify and play defense and damage control with Daniel Smith's past comments that are being resurfaced thanks to the NDP's aggressive attacks. Yeah. Um, but the main message of the campaign, other than those comments that she made, uh, for the UCP has been sort of along the lines of cutting costs and taxes and with the message of moving Alberta forward with affordability. NDP's message has been more on the hope side by making sure that uh, they've, uh, people in Alberta vote for trusted leadership as well as for better health care. What are your thoughts about the two campaign messages and how they've dealt with the message so far? Honestly, one of my disappointments in both of the platforms is that it feels like they've learned nothing from the last decade. Where, for example, uh, during from 2014 till like 2020, oil prices were fairly low. And Alberta relies on oil for a lot of the revenue. And they basically went into massive debt because they refused to raise taxes. Mm. They just relate, relied so much on oil revenues. And they just kept cutting taxes and cutting taxes because, again, it's an anti-tax thing, which is fair if that's your ideology. But at the end of the day, you need to at least be responsible with the money of your province. And it just feels like the UCP has learned nothing. And the NDP seems to not want to attack on this. Because it's sort of like a golden cow in Alberta. You don't talk about oil any negative way. And that's really my disappointment in both parties here. Um, but other than oil, do you think they've uh, stuck to their message throughout the campaign? In a way. They've, they've had to alter it a little bit as time went on, as you do in a campaign. Hmm. But they seem to both be presenting completely uh, fairly different uh, ideas for Alberta. Although one of the interesting things was when... Uh, when uh, when the conservatives propose a policy, a lot of the time the NDP will just one up it. For example, they for police officers, the UCP wanted to increase the number of police officers. The NDP then replied with, "We want to do that plus more social workers." But well, that's during the debate, which yes. we'll talk about uh, a bit later. Um, I actually don't think that uh, either party has done a good job with their messaging because. Um, the importance of a campaign message is this. Otherwise, it really sucks your campaign message, and it got so uh, convoluted and unclear that it never stuck to the landing. Okay, So you begin a campaign with a message of your campaign, typically revolving around the slogan of your campaign. And then you need to put that very clearly to voters, that that is the or the ballot question or questions leading people to vote. And then by election day or advanced polling day, that needs to be the question in voters' minds, which will determine their vote. And I don't think any of these uh, two campaigns have done a good job, actually. Um, and that is why in the polls, it's been relatively uh, close. And it still is, by the way, in terms of popular vote. I think one of the reasons why it's been so close is because Alberta is a very conservative province. Mm -hmm. I've been there. I think you've been there once. Mm -hmm. uh, probably specifically, you could feel the conservatism while walking down the urban areas there. It's a very unusual city because you can feel it's conservative, whereas you go to, say, San Francisco, you feel it's very liberal. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to explain that feeling, but you walk down the streets and you feel the difference. And for that reason, the conservatives have this massive home field advantage there. 
but they have screwed up so much in the last term, at least in the perception of a lot of citizens there. So the fact that the NDP are discompetitive really just shows how poorly the UCP has done in the last, uh, last term. One of the things that both campaigns have tried to do throughout this election is both of them are going for between 900,000 and 1.1 million voters. And while that's a win number in terms of popular vote, they're forgetting a fundamental aspect of a provincial campaign. It doesn't matter how many people vote for you, it matters how many seats you get. Yes. Right? Because of our first past-the-post system. Um, another thing that uh, you mentioned, it's a binary election. So a lot of people who would tend to vote, I don't know, for the Alberta party are going to be voting strategically or not voting at all, right? Um, so uh, let's say if you're a voter who is a centrist, um, you may be inclined to vote for Rachel Notley and uh, you may not show up to vote because you don't like what Rachel Notley did during her time as premier of the province between 2015 and 19. The one thing that was significant in the 2019 election is that voter turnout grew in a historic sense for Alberta to 68%. And because of the closeness in terms of uh, expected voter turnout, I do think that this year's turnout will be between 61 and 68%. I think fairly around those numbers uh, would be the voter turnout. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'm I'm not too knowledgeable about the voter turnout history of Alberta, so I'm not going to disagree with you there. Okay. Yes. Um, but what do you think about Daniel Smith's comments uh, regarding Hitler, the poppy, and the police and the military? Let's let's start with the elf in the room, which is the Hitler comments. Hmm. So the Hitler comments used to be in a long a long line of just continual just using Hitler and the Nazis for any little thing that's considered bad or by, by some group. So they're just like, oh, I stubbed my, to my toe. That rock I stubbed it on is Hitler. But this is a long history of just like the minimization of these massive events. And in this case, the conservatives, uh, especially in Alberta, have labeled the vaccine and a lot of the anti- Anti, well, not anti pandemic, it's the wrong word. The, the lockdown yeah. measures, the general pandemic, measures, as sort of just the measures themselves, as sort of like Nazi ish, without which probably is a little bit of a shortage of our, of our World War II education with our Nazi education. Mm. This is uh, the member of parliament, Anthony Housefighter, actually likes to talk about this a lot, where he believes that Canada needs better Holocaust education because. Just these terms get watered down, and people just start associating horrible events with just oh, it's I, it wasn't that bad and all that stuff, and they just it becomes just common parlage, and it sort of like gets rid of a lot of the uh, of this thing of these of these actual terms. Okay, but going back to Smith's comments, yes, what do you think about them in terms of the campaign message? Well, obviously, it's bad. It's wrong, and it's going to probably scare away a lot of our uh, more centrist-leading voters. So let's talk about the performance of each campaign and what are the issues, first of all, that they're focusing on based off their messaging strategies or lack thereof. What's really interesting is that uh, for the NDP, it's been mostly a positive, hopeful campaign in terms of uh, performance so far. Um, Rachel Notley hasn't had fumbles. And, um, you know, um, she's 
ramp ramped up a lot of the negative uh, attacks on Smith. Honestly, um, on this topic, on trust rather. Given the campaign Rachel Notley has had, I think it would actually help her party to change their name away from the association with the NDP. Well, I mean, uh, um, I don't think she's ready for that. She's yet. not ready for that. But I'm thinking like. If it was uh, just some like more Alberta sounding name, it would probably actually help him a lot because I don't think it matters. You don't think people associate the NDP with far left? Yes and no, but this is Alberta. Yes, and Alberta has a natural uh, dislike of NDP policies. You can say the same thing about any liberal party in any province. Yes, and they tend to not do very well. Recently, yes. You can blame the party leaders for that too, right? Or the party message. Right. Okay, so let's talk about the UCP though. They've constantly been, strangely enough, on the defense every single day. Basically, their objective has been altered from trying to win a majority to trying to demonstrate that Daniel Smith is actually composed, she's got good judgment, and she's level-headed. Uh, because of the daily fumbles, she's been getting a lot of negative press, and uh, she's actually going on the negative not based on personality of Rachel Notley, but rather her record and her stance on issues, which is a very different strategy from the NDP camp, who's really trying to discredit um, Daniel Smith's, um, well, trust factor and leadership capability. But suffice to say, most of the voters of the UCP are still decided, uh, 87% of them are going to be loyal, even though most of the MPPs of the UCP hate Daniel Smith and are frustrated by her campaign. And what's really interesting is um, at the beginning of the election, the number of undecideds was 22%. Now it's 19% up from midway in the campaign that was 15%. So instead of going lower than 15, it's going much higher than 19. And most likely most of these undecideds are not going to vote. That's where I'm seeing this going. My question about the uh, the Albertan Parliament, where where a lot of the conservative MPs are unhappy with uh, Daniel hmm. uh, Smith, is is there anyone they would be happy with? Well, it's a little too late for yes. this because my <laughs> doc because I remember that uh, that Guy Kenny was removed from office because he was unpopular. He resigned uh, following his leadership confidence vote. Yes, he resigned. But it's sort of sort of like expected when you do that that poorly on a, on a review of your leadership, you step down. It's just sort of expected. Well, to be fair, he did get more than fifty percent. He got fifty one. Yes, uh, which is way better than uh, what Tom Mulcair got with the NDP. That's a different story. That was, that was more national. Yes, but my point was just. Is yeah. there anyone that the that the conservatives would be happy with? I mean, are they ever happy with any leader? I don't think so. I mean, the federals are any uh, thing to go by. No, exactly. So I, I think the trend follows right uh, over here. But anyways, it's the leader they have. Uh, I do think that most conservatives, though they don't like Daniel Smith, they're still going to be super loyal and vote for UCP anyways. Um, I don't think more than ten percent of them are not going to show up to vote. Yes. So what I'm saying is, if it's 10% who decide to stay home, the rest will definitely vote for UCP, regardless of who the leader is, even if it's Donald Trump, right? And then um, I've been following polls with regards to likability of the two leaders, 
they're both women leaders, so you're definitely going to have a woman premier of that province. Uh, shockingly, though, both leaders' negatives are high. Uh, Daniel Smith's negatives are at 47% right now. This was on May 22nd, this poll, the latest. Uh, Rachel Notley, 46%. Okay. Now keep in mind it was a poll uh, of uh, 1,500 uh, Albertans. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be like that, but I'm pretty sure it's uh, pretty reliable. One of the situations that's always important to look at is uh, the provincial debt. So during Notley's uh, reign from 2015 to 20, uh, 2019, from a $4.2 billion surplus, the province went. $39.6 billion in debt. And ever since that, um, the conservatives took power. So only in the first year till 2020, that number doubled from $39.6 billion to 63.8. That was also during the pandemic, which is fair to point out. It was actually right before the pandemic. Wait, what, what, so you said 2020, right? 2020. Because the budget for uh, the pandemic is more reflected on the, the, the period between 2020 and 2021. The, it was the height of the pandemic. Um, and then till today, uh, that uh, def debt number has gone up to $79.5 billion. So it's only getting much, much worse. So it's uh, often an indicator how badly managed the budget is. But the question is, how much of that was based on a decrease in revenue from oil versus an uh, increase in expenses? I think it's a combination of both. And you can make the argument for both Rachel Notley and Danielle Smith. Yes. I'm, I'm not taking a side there. I'm just right. saying. So the situation hasn't improved. Um, you, you'll notice that Danielle Smith always makes the point, yeah, but the debt was worse during her reign. It's not true. It still got worse, much worse, under Danielle Smith's reign, or Jason Kenney and Danielle Smith. Uh, and what really made it worse for uh, Danielle Smith was the May 18th Ethics Commissioner report, literally the day of the debate, the only debate that the province had. So the Ethics Commissioner found that Daniel Smith broke the law by intervening in the Justice Minister's COVID-19 prosecution investigation. So very similar to the SNC-Lavalin thing with Justin Trudeau with uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, and uh, she uh, was reported to have broken the law. And that was a main attack point of Rachel Notley. She didn't really go more than once on it, though, uh, to stick. One of the important things to notate, uh, just like um, most Canadian provinces, Daniel Smith gave everyone $600 rebates to curb inflation. Do you think that actually fights inflation? Well, was this something like you can pay for your car payment with it? Was it like, or was it just for like food and essentials? Well, it doesn't matter. It's the voter who decides. Regardless, um, they, many provinces like Ontario and Quebec have done the same thing. But whether it actually fights inflation, I don't think so. I think it's just to buy voters. Yeah. Um, usually, right close to an election. Usually, giving away money like that is inflationary. And um, during Rachel Notley's um, governance, uh, she fought, she claimed that she fought uh, costs during her reign. Uh, she put caps on insurance and energy bills, which is true. And uh, she's offering to never having to pay to see a doctor. Obviously, she's willing to put more funding into public sector because uh, uh, healthcare is becoming a much more serious issue. And according to polls, it is one of the main issues for Albertans. 
This episode is brought to you by Kara Strategies, because at Kara Strategies, we believe in you strategizing fearlessly so you can succeed relentlessly. Visit our website, carastrategies.com today. So Matthew, what do you think about the campaign performance of each campaign? And has there been a ballot question from the get-go and that, that will make voters determine who to vote for? Well, both these campaigns are are basically from from uh, incumbent governments at this point. Rachel Notley is the former premier who uh, who led Alberta between 2015 and 2019. Uh, she had a majority government and had a lot of power to to pass bills that uh, that she wanted. The right now the uh, Danielle uh, Smith campaign is basically the successor to the uh, to the, the Kenny camp uh, Kenny uh, leadership. And right now, she's trying campaigning for continuation of that style of leadership. So right now, the Albertans have gotten two free trials, and they need to decide which one they want to buy. I actually don't think that there has been a ballot question that has stuck. Because um, one campaign, the UCP campaign, is just trying to fight the Notley record by forgetting what was positive about them, by constantly focusing on the fact that they want to cut more costs, even though they've added more to the provincial debt. Uh, and the NDP campaign has been going more so on the attack of why not to vote for uh, Danielle Smith, because she's not trustworthy. Even though I don't think any of these attacks um, are actually going to le- make people lean towards them, right? Um, I think it's having the adverse effect of people, how they normally feel about uh, typical uh, politics, really. I don't think that uh, any campaign has had a very much hopeful message that they stuck to till now, till the end. Uh, The Move Forward campaign of the UCP, the message, versus the NDP's hope and the trusted leadership message, I don't know if uh, either of them have. If I were an Alberta voter, I'd be totally confused and undecided right now. Uh, this based on the performance so far. You heard here first from Eddie. Yeah, if you were in Alberta, stay home this election night. I did not say that. Um, I'd understand why the undecided uh, voters are increasing um, as a result of campaign performance if you're not uh, a decided voter. Now, in terms of the debate, what are your thoughts about the debate? Overall, did you feel that there was a winner? Not entirely. It felt like it was playing to both of their bases, and I'm not sure how many people they actually uh, convinced. Hmm. What it really felt like is they were arguing about a similar topic from two different angles. So, for example, the uh, UCP were arguing about how uh, about uh, uh, what's called in the price of living, the, the cost of living. Cost of, yes, that's the term. Affordability. Yes, affordability. And the NDP were also talking about affordability and the cost of living, but the uh, the UCP's arguments were basically lowering taxes and basically uh, removing government barriers, whereas the NDP was about napping prices and stuff like that. Well, if, just doing things better. That was mainly the angle that they took. In theory. Uh, oftentimes, that doesn't work out when government gets involved like that, so I'm not going to give them that entire credit. Uh, no, it's just debate performance we're talking about right now. Uh, my my point is basically it was looking at two different angles to try and accomplish the same exact thing, mm. which is how, uh, the cost of living 
and the, and that was seems to be the issue they were both trying to hammer home. I actually think both uh, debaters lacked a unique selling point. They literally offered almost imitations of the other. If I'm being honest, that's yeah. what it felt like. Secondly, um, I don't think there was a real winner during the, that debate. Um, most of it was... Uh, so let's talk about uh, composure and body language. Um, now, if you were just to put the debate on mute and see body language, you would assume that Rachel Notley won the debate. Why? Because she was often smiling. Yes. Compared to Daniel Smith, who looked really stuck up, not avoiding complete eye contact with Rachel Notley and oh. almost never listening because she was too busy writing notes. Also, Rachel Notley's hairdresser deserves a raise. <laughs> I'm not sure if you noticed, but her hair was perfect throughout the entire debate, whereas Daniel Smith's hair sort of got a little messy like halfway in the debate. And it, got a little... and it was just funny to see that. Well, also, uh, what that showed to me uh, with regards to Daniel Smith is how insecure and uncomfortable she was at the debate versus Rachel Notley was more comfortable and prepared, I would say. Uh, she didn't need to look at her notes that often. In terms of the debate as a content, um, Smith more so used a debate to attack Notley with numbers. Now, whether or not those numbers were accurate is debatable, obviously. Uh, according to the moderators, they were mostly not true. But anyways, um, Rachel Notley, though, was much more busy fighting off Smith's attacks and then trying to uh, say that what I did was better rather than Either like neither of these women offered uh, what their plan is, really. Um, but do you who do you think stuck to their campaign message more during that debate? Probably Notley. That's one of those things where if you don't really have a coherent, like a super coherent message, it, it doesn't really help if you're sticking to that non like non coherent message. Yeah, or it shows a complete disorganization in terms of your communications, right? Uh, one thing that's uh, noteworthy to mention, only 35% of Albertans watch that debate, uh, which is much lower than expected, because typically if you know, you're involved in uh, the political cycle uh, during a campaign, you would at least hope to get some insight from a debate. I also think a lot of people in Alberta will... Obviously, there's a lot of undecideds, but I think a lot of people who are decided probably decided not to watch the debate. Mm. Because if, if you're already that decided, like if you're a super dedicated UCP supporter or NDP supporter, what's the point in watching the debate? Well, the point would be to see how your leader's doing at the debate and whether or not if, she is able if to If you're involved the with the party, yes. If you're not involved with the party, it's almost just like, oh, uh, succession's on. I'll watch that instead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is a, by no means a promotion for HBO. No, I haven't even watched the show. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about the political landscape, polling, and further insights of Alberta. Now, and what we think will actually happen. How about that? So there are, for this election, um, 2023, there's 87 seats up for grabs. Let's remind everyone that it is still a binary. It's going to be a, a binary choice for people. People are not going to vote for a third or fourth party because it's so close to polls. So you need 40, 44 seats to obtain majority. And unlike what the NDP says outside of Alberta, this is a binary choice. Right. <laughs> um, 
And in 2019, uh, the results were UCP 63 seats. It was a huge majority and NDP 24 losing uh, the, their previous reign on the province. And by the way, in 2015, NDP gained um, the, the governing status first time in 44 years uh, in uh, Alberta history. Um, what do you think Daniel Smith's win strategy is in terms of seats and where to get those seats compared to Rachel Notley's? First of all, the UCP does very well in rural areas. Hmm. They do a lot of, uh, they do very well in the oil areas. They do a Especially lot. in Alberta. Yes. They do very well in the farmlands. Okay. So where they need to focus is maintaining that lead in the rural areas. They probably don't really have a chance in specifically Edmonton. So they probably shouldn't focus too much time there. But they should try and get the the uh, the marginal seats in Calgary, which is the uh, the more conservative leading city in uh, Alberta. Okay, so based on what you said, I just want to look at numbers. Okay, so you need forty four seats to win majority out of eighty seven. You just mentioned rural seats. There's forty seven that are considered to be urban, more so than rural. Yes. So that already leaves forty seats. So are you saying that? Danielle Smith can't win her majority and is likely to win only 40. That's not what I said. I said... Please elaborate. So what I said is, is she needs to maintain the, the rural seats. Yes. So if she does that, that makes her base, her floor 40. That's not that's not the... the I just needed that clarification yeah. for our so listeners. If she can get a floor of 40, that's a major uh, benefit to her. And then she just needs to win, I believe you said uh, seven seats, or is it... So four more seats for four majority seats, yes. on top of that. But that's assuming all the rural areas are going to go to her. Yes, I'm betting probably at least 90 to 95% of them will. Hmm. If she can get a clean sweep, that would be uh, a big boon to her. But the, the place that's going to make and break the selection is probably going to be the uh, more conservative-leaning areas of Calgary. Uh, okay, so we'll get to the two cities in a moment. But um, I, I'm of the same opinion. I, I think, keeping in mind that Conservative voters, no matter how much they hate Daniel Smith, they're still going to vote UCP. Compared to NDP voters who don't like Rachel Notley are less likely to stick to party loyalty. I think there's that distinction to make, right? Uh, the other thing I wanted to say is that because of that uh, rural and urban divide, Ra uh, Rachel Notley has a huge disadvantage from the get-go. Uh, compared to Daniel Smith. So as we just pointed out, there are 40 classified rural areas, you might argue, okay, compared to the remainder um, 47 that are uh, up for grabs. Um, now, the reverse can be said for Rachel Notley, but keep in mind, she's not leading in all the urban areas. So let's talk about Edmonton. Yes, and by the way, if we're just looking at popular vote, it's still tight with a slight UCP lead, according to the majority of the polls. But uh, Edmonton has 21 seats, and Calgary has 26. What I'm about to say is that Edmonton is the reason why uh, it looks so good in terms of the popular vote for Rachel Notley. There's a, a lot of people in Edmonton will vote NDP. So what will end up happening is you'll get... Uh, Edmonton seats with 70-80% NDP, which brings up her unpopular vote, but not her seat count. Yeah. And that's what might end up killing her, where she might do very well in popular vote, may even take the popular vote, but still lose in a semi-landslide if she loses Calgary. 
Or the reverse could be said. Yes. Rachel Notley may not win the popular vote by win by seats. That's true. Right? Um, okay, so Edmonton, I think, is a guaranteed win for the NDP. 21 seats. Uh, the 19 of them are NDP solid and leaning. Yes. So two of them are up for grabs from there. So let's give 19 directly to the NDP over there. Calgary is literally uh, the most important, but I'm going to skip Calgary and leave it to last for now. There's Lethbridge, which has two rural-ish um, writings. They're both leaning NDP, so we can give two of those to the NDP as well. The closest rural races in the rural areas that we talked about in uh, Alberta right now, which are toss-ups, are Banff, which is leaning towards NDP. I've and, been there. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. And uh, Lesser Slave Lake, which is a writing that's leaning somewhat to UCP, but that might change. Small correction, Slavey. Okay. Yes. And uh, so, you know, these few seats are uh, in contention, but Calgary's really, I do believe, is going to mainly decide the election. Yes, I, I completely agree with that. When it succeeds. And it's a conservative urban area. That's that's going to um, be... I wouldn't classify it as conservative well, based on numbers right now. I, I'm By conservative, I mean... Uh, compared, you felt, well, you felt it was conservative. I, but well, I meant comparatively compared to other urban areas. So, okay, I'll give urban you that. areas are all are tend to, as a rule, be more um, left leaning than more uh, conservative rural areas. But Calgary's for an urban area is very uh, right leaning for an urban area. Now, look, one of the things that these polls don't pull, let's just be honest about that, are one of the groups rather are ethnic minorities. Historically, they, they don't have a great history polling ethnic minorities. And ethnic minorities are going to be key in not just Edmonton, but freaking Calgary. 26 seats. It's rich in terms of seats. Right now in the polls, nine of these seats are going NDP for sure. Six of them UCP. Already, uh, Daniel Smith has a disadvantage there, but still getting six. And 11 will be undecided. Those 11 will determine, I believe, the election. So the, we're going to have to pay a close attention to that. Um, now, the latest polls estimate, uh, or project rather, that UCP is going to win a minor majority, if we can call it that, with 48 seats, NDP 39. Uh, but let's keep, an, uh, let's keep in mind that 24 of those seats are either leaning or toss-ups. In, in my opinion, um, I think it's going to be less than 24 seats. I think it's 11 in Calgary, 2 in Edmonton, so that's already 13. Uh, Lethbridge with 2, that's 15. And then you have the two um, rural races, that's going to be um, 17. You it's not 24, but 17 in my view. be hilarious. What? If the Alberta party gets one seat and it's really the breaking no, seat, I don't think so. And I just, it'll be a BC situation. Yes. Remember, um, Logan's government won coalition, With even the though the, uh, Christia uh, Clark was supposed to be the premier uh, by one seat. Yes. Um, so the NDP formed a coalition. It's not going to happen, but it's hilarious if it did. I mean, you may end up getting a result. I would laugh if. Um, the winning party gets 44 seats versus 43. Yes. So I'm saying in the event that it's close to tie, 44 versus 43, the majority is still 43. Yes. 
So yes, yeah, so the, so the statistically, funny, one party is definitely going to win that majority. So the funny salute. So the funny result will be forty three, forty three, and one. <laughs> yeah, it's unlikely to happen unlikely, according to the numbers. It's unlikely to happen, um, but it'll be hilarious. Keep in mind that two of the seats before the uh, the Alberta legislature was dissolved were independent because they were kicked out of UCP caucus or whatnot. Um, so those two are really in contention, and one of them are in Lethbridge, by the way, the leaning NDP. Um, it is rather leaning NDP. So let's talk about voters. Okay, as we said, the conservative voter is most likely eighty-seven percent decided and will vote UCP no matter what. That was that's what I expect. Um, in terms of generational divide, those who are forty-five and under are likely, according to polls, to vote for the NDP, while those over the age of forty-five are leaning UCP. That's of course if they decide to vote. There's also that factor. Um, nine on ten Albertans are worried about the cost of living and inflation. And by, by the looks of it, I'm not sure if any of the campaigns are have won them over. Yes, there's still ties in the polls. Sixty um, percent and more of uh, either part-time or full-time employees in Alberta believe that the, their salaries are too low. 89% of senior women believes their salaries are too low. Um, and a lot of Albertans, their top issue is rent or mortgage affordability. Honestly, just that question note, my, my salary is too low. Is there anyone who's going to say no to that question? Well, they could say, uh, I'm getting paid enough no. because of inflation. But if you tell someone, would you like to get paid more? Like, Eddie, if you had a choice, would you like to get paid more? That's not the question, though. Do you believe your salary is too low? But for what, in comparison to what? That's the big question. Yes. I think it's very subjective. Yeah, I, that's my but, problem. But uh, it's, it's one of the things. So I've done this in, during polls as well. And I always don't ask the question like that. I ask, is your financial situation worse or better, and I give it like five points. That was somewhat worse, much worse, neither, better or much better. That would be a much better way of asking this question because I was just listening to that question. I was trying to piece it in my head. What are people answering this based off of? Mm. And my answer is my answer. I came up with is literally they're just thinking, "Would I like more money?" Yes, I would. Mm. Um, and the biggest factor in, in terms of those uh, Calgary and Edmonton seats are going to be ethnic minorities. There's a lot of them in those two cities, actually, um, that there, aren't, uh, there isn't enough polling data on. So uh, bottom line, Matthew, what do you think is going to happen on election night? I think it's going to be a Jeb landslide. <laughs> no, just joking. Jeb landslide for? You don't get the meme. The meme. It's the uh, Jeb Bush. No, no, but for our listeners, you have to elaborate what you're talking about. Oh. Jeb, with an exclamation point, yes. I might add. It's going to be a Jeb Bush landslide, even though he's not even running. <laughs> no. Okay. All right, but in all seriousness, it's going to be a close election, and I think the UCP are going to slightly take, take it. I, I think so, too. I, I think no matter how much they dislike Danielle Smith, um, there's you know more voters are going to turn up um, you know, it's it's going to be much closer than projected forty eight uh, to thirty nine. I do think there's gains to be made by the NDP in Calgary, but they haven't. They've have run a sort of better campaign than the UCP, 
Uh, so for that reason alone, the 11 undecided seats in Calgary, I would say six of those would go to the NDP, which would give the NDP between 39 and 43 seats. Now, but I, I don't see them winning a, a majority. I have a moment. question for you. Sure. If Rachel Notley loses this election, even if it's just a small loss, do you think she's going to remain as leader? I think she will. You think she will? I you don't think, think so. the NDP is going to remove her? They can try, but there's no one else who's interested. That is a very fair point. Because <laughs> <laughs> keep in mind, Rachel Notley built that party. Yes. So did her uh, dad before her. Yeah, Alberta has a long history of these sort of like hierarchical like party structures mm. where just like you have one sort of like monarch of your party. Same thing about the Manitoba NDP, by yes. the way, the Ashton family. It's dynastic. Yes. There was, I forget what it was called, but there was a party that was dominant in Alberta before the Conservative Party. Well, uh, social those? social credit. Oh, okay. So the social credit was the same way where they had sort of this, this godfather of the party who stayed in power a long time, and then he chose successor. And you just have this long history of this in Alberta. So my final tally for the vote will be like this. In Edmonton, the UCP will be able to pick up two seats, NDP 19. In Lethbridge, uh, NDP will pick up both. In the rural areas, UCP will pick up 34, while NDP will pick up one. That leaves 26 seats in Calgary. I'm estimating uh, NDP to take 18 of them, while UCP six. So the final tally, according to my calculation, will be UCP winning a slight majority with 47 seats, with the NDP winning 40 seats. What do you think, Matthew? I think I don't know about enough about these individual writings to be able to make a prediction like that. But you, you have looked at the polling a lot more than me. and uh, But do you anticipate it to be close like mine? Yes. I'm not entirely sure about the individual regions. Right. So I think that it'll probably win more of the rural seats. I don't expect as many of them to go NDP as you do. Okay. But I think it will be roughly that number. Okay. Sounds good. So that's been our bottom line, views about news. As always, I'm Eddie. And I'm Matthew. Until next time.